All right. Hello and welcome to Realcom's second installment in the Smart Building Showcase Series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom guest host for today's webinar, which is in-building wired and wireless strategy, exploring Wi-Fi 6, 5G, and CBRS. Thank you for tuning into the live session or viewing this as a recording. There have been so many requests for clarification on these topics by building owners, facility managers, and building engineers. So with this unique panel, I do recommend having pen and paper ready to take notes if you still do that while viewing this interactive session. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have just a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you again to our live audience. And we do encourage you throughout the webinar to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if we don't get them during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. And you'll find in the handout section of the webinar control panel, you'll see the slides from today's session, from session one, and the presenter bios in case you wanna learn more about each one of the individuals. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch Netflix, watch us, it'll be so much better. And for the best, uh, uh, if you, for the best experience, if you're having technical dish difficulties with connectivity or sound or video quality, the best thing to do is to disconnect the, or click on the webinar link again, or you can email Sarah Bemperad at S-B-E-M-P-O-R-A-D at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording in the next few days. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors, including Corning, and they're a company that is vital to progress in multiple industries, including life sciences, mobile consumer electronics, optical fiber, wireless technologies, and so much more. There's just too many to list. And Spot On Networks offers many uh, opportunities as well, including managed Wi-Fi, cell boost, distributed antenna systems, RF and cellular surveys, public safety, and so much more. They are all about wireless. And both of these sponsors do far more than what I have mentioned here today, but we're grateful for their contributions to our industry, to Realcom, and to educating our viewers. Uh, once you hear the outstanding content of today's webinar, I'm sure you'll want to include them as part of your vendor evaluation process. And finally, our moderator is Michael Osmond, Chief Technical Officer at Bedrock in Detroit. Welcome, Michael. Uh, good afternoon slash morning, folks. I'm <laughs> excited to be here and uh, moderating this uh, great panel. Um, before I get started, I'd just like to say, you know, the, the success of this, it will really be determined a lot by the audience. You know, the, ask the questions in the chat that you have. And, uh, you know, we'd really like this to be a great interactive session rather than something where, you know, we're just talking to each other. Sounds so, good, Michael. Uh, I'm gonna get out of your way. I'll let you go for it. Thank you. All right, thanks. All right, so it's not with a quick introduction to Bedrock and some of the unique challenges. So if you, uh, you know, Bedrock was formed by um, the purchase of a large portfolio of real estate within downtown Detroit. So it's unique in that perspective in that the uh, picture on the right-hand side of the slide, Bedrock owns 
the majority of the buildings that you can see in that. And our mission, to some extent, is a little bit unique as well. So, you know, we're, it's a quote from our CEO, you know, we continue the important work of curating vibrant spaces and places while working together to uplift the broader community. Our programs and developments must represent and support the full diversity of Detroit and whenever possible, encourage growing wealth and improving health outcomes. So our mission is uh, you know, a little different than a typical commercial real estate company, which provides us uh, some challenges. But you know, today what we're talking about is uh, 5G, CBRS, and building wireless, Wi-Fi 6, those kind of things. So I thought I would kind of start by talking about exactly what things are and how they're classified. So the limits of 5G are dictated by fundamental laws of physics, right? The faster the speed, the higher the frequency, and the lower ability of the radio wave to penetrate a building shell. So, you know, as you can see, there are a number of different bands when we talk 5G. So low band, mid band, which would include uh, C band, um, and the higher band frequencies. Um, often called millimeter wave. Uh, they have varying coverage and varying ability to penetrate the building. So when we get up to the very high speeds, uh, you can see that many of those will not penetrate into a typical building shell. And so we end up relying on infrastructure inside the building, either provided by the landlord or a carrier, to uh, actually serve those customers. So we also have to consider, you know, Wi-Fi 6 in this, as it'll have a, a fundamental impact at some point. And, uh, you know, but again, looking at the various bands, you can see the distances they can go. You know, 5G low band can go a long way. 5G high band doesn't go very far at all. And then Wi-Fi 6 is not much different than uh, current Wi-Fi. And so as we talk through the options on the buildings and what we deploy and how we service our tenants, visitors, shoppers, whatever, um, you know, we need to consider uh, these different characteristics of the various uh, types of communication. And then, you know, why, why is this becoming more and more important? Well, so 5G is obviously important. It's a way to deliver high-speed uh, internet I mean, very high-speed internet. But it's also being driven a lot by the uh, move of computing and data requirements to the edge. So 5G enables a lot of processing at the edge around IoT, uh, AR, VR, things like that, where you need super fast response times, super low latency, and uh, you know that compute power, like you know, either in your building or just down the street or very close by. And so you know, as we talk about these technologies kind of in the abstract, a lot of us think about you know, cell phones and uh, voice calls, which you know, I don't know about you, but not a lot of people actually use the phone for calling anymore. But it really becomes very important as we get into some of these newer technologies and new ways of using computers. And uh, you know, so we'll see more and more adoption and more and more challenges for the operators of buildings. So now I'd like to take a break and we're gonna do a little survey, give you about 40, 45 seconds to answer, and then this will help us as we go forward.
um, you know, while you're thinking about that, uh, you know, the, the things I see us using it for potentially, like I said, is uh, serving the needs of tenants inside our buildings, being able to potentially use it for, you know, some of the IoT, and in our case, some of the autonomous vehicle research we're doing, things like that, where we can actually uh, orchestrate or actuate things in real time if you're trying to use cameras, for example, to detect and warn about an impending collision. It's got to be very low response, very fast. And so, you know, those are just some of the things outside of the scope of just communications you should be thinking about. Okay, so right now, a lot of you looks like are just uh, thinking about 5G and CBRS, so this will be good. And we'll talk about this as we go through this. So um, next, I'd like to introduce uh, Joe Rich. He's the CIO of Related Companies. And uh, they're a privately owned real estate firm with a portfolio of over $50 billion in real estate assets owned or under development. Uh, Joe has over 13 years of experience as a CIO focused on global cultural change within the organization. Welcome, Joe. Good to see you again. Thank you, Michael. Good to see you, too. Thanks very much for, for having me today. Um, as you can see, uh, Related is a New York-based owner-operator developer of many different classes of real estate, including Class A commercial, retail, uh, and residential from luxury high-rises to affordable housing. Uh, Related is proud to be one of the largest developers and operators of affordable and workforce housing in the U.S., uh, which also you know, gets into some, some social aspects when we talk about wireless of the digital divide, which is something that I am personally focused on almost on a daily basis. Um, if you want to understand more about Related, you can go to uh, Related.com. We'll show you all of our pretty hero shots, but they are all on our website. For, my, for myself, I've been uh, actually a CIO for 22 years. Uh, time, time flies when you're having fun. Um, but I have, many, I have experience with many different models of in-building wireless, including carrier-owned uh, and managed DAS systems, third-party operated, DAS systems, which includes good, bad, and, and the ugly of, of that uh, segment of the business, and also large self-managed Wi-Fi networks. My only interest in this topic is really to, to continue to ensure that we're providing best-in-class connectivity experience in all of our assets. Uh, that is, as we go forward in the future, going to be how we're, I think, really judged. If you think about the office and getting people back to the office, um, and our amenity spaces are going to be critical to the experience of, of those users. Certainly at home and our residences, very, very important as well. And even the shopping experiences, as uh, Michael kind of alluded to, uh, in uh, AR and VR. So we, we, we see that certainly coming. Layering onto these networks is all of the IoT that we have. But I think the, the real challenge that we have uh, is the state of the wireless market is, is shifting sands. Uh, I think about uh, back to about 15 years ago when we were putting DAS into 20 million square feet of office space, that was uh, challenging at the time, but a lot easier. We have uh, 
5G, different varieties of 5G. We have Wi-Fi 6, which is, I think, a game changer, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, and we have CBRS. All of these things uh, are, are shifting and uh, it, it, trying, to, trying to figure all that out. But I don't think um, we can really have a discussion about wireless technologies without including the carriers first. Uh, that, that they are going to be a very important component and partner for us as real estate owners. Uh, because the sh the, in terms of the shifting sands, it's shifting in, in the capital outlay for these, these carriers as well, where there had been previously been capital available to us as owners, that capital is really uh, drying up. That may not be the case. You may find uh, regionally where there's some, some capital available. Uh, if you're an owner and you have that with, with, with a particular carrier, you should consider yourself lucky and close the deal as quickly as you can. Uh, I would also say in the carrier space, there's shifting sands with new carriers coming on board. Certainly we have DISH interested in, in, the, uh, in the DAS space uh, and there, there are other um, third parties that are, that are coming into the space as well. But that, what, where that leaves us as owners is to try to figure out how to fund these networks and because we know we need the wireless connectivity in every form of real estate, um, that we have to have it. So you have really two options at this point. You can go to your development partner internally and say, hey, we need X number of millions of dollars for a DAS. That's never a good conversation because it's hardly ever underwritten. And now they have to find money from something else. So that's not a great situation for, for us to, to be in. I think the second uh, option is uh, make it uh, find another third party to 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 fund it and to make it an operating expense. Um, overall, I think our job as uh, Michael, myself, the CIO and CTO, our job is to think like a business person first. And we so we can't just ask for for money. We have to think of how are we going. There are business models out there where we can uh, take advantage of uh, of the the new normal. Uh, with, with wireless technologies. So I wanted to just touch on some of these technologies. Uh, Michael touched on, on 5G. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be really important uh, to have in our building. It's licensed spectrum by the carriers for the most part. Uh, it, it promises faster speed. Um, and, but I think in the next uh, uh, three to five years, I think what we're gonna be looking at uh, is to focus on low to mid band. Uh, uh, 5G. I'll touch on uh, high band in a, in a second. I think a second one, I have a uh, uh, logo for the Ongo Alliance, which is uh, really the, uh, the industry experts on and, uh, and organization for CBRS. Uh, CBRS is, is very interesting tech technology because it promises to combine some of these technologies into a different uh, wireless network. Um, and there's 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 lots of lots of promise and use cases there. Um, in terms of Wi-Fi six, which is also known as uh, for those of you who want to nerd out, is 802.11.ax. Um, so there's some things with Wi-Fi six that certainly are are attractive to us. First, certainly there's faster speeds, theoretically 300% uh, increase. But I think. Uh, for, for us, one of the other things to consider is the much greater capacity in Wi-Fi 6. Um, if we think about the users of our, our Wi-Fi networks, 
Um, we've now got IoT devices competing for the same bandwidth that users do on their laptops and their phones. Um, and you can imagine, as we just keep increasing little bits of bandwidth at a time for all of these IoT devices, they actually take up more bandwidth uh, than the users, uh, the human users themselves. I think the other thing uh, that's attractive about Wi-Fi 6 is better security. Uh, an entry-level requirement of Wi-Fi 6 is WPA3, which is the latest, greatest uh, security protocol for wireless uh, devices on Wi-Fi, which is uh, a big improvement over the existing. Um, on, 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 certainly on CVRS and Wi-Fi 6, they do require different chipsets, both on the user devices or the IoT devices. And in the case of Wi-Fi 6, uh, you'll need to look at a new uh, router or wireless controller. What's important here is that I don't think I want to make the point, I don't think it's one or the other. I think some of these, these wireless technologies go hand in hand. I'll give you the example on the residential side. Um, many of the carriers are coming out with a product called Fixed Wireless. And essentially, it replaces your cable modem with, with a 5G. Uh, the signal source is not a wire to your house, but it's wireless on 5G and converts to a Wi-Fi 6 in, inside your home. Um, that's, that's an example of a combination of, of these technologies. Last but not least, I will talk uh, about uh, 5G millimeter wave. And I put this as a separate category, if you will, uh, from 5G, because I think it is something that is very different. In, one, in terms of DAS, a 5G millimeter wave is, is a completely different design it's not an add-on or an overlay to the existing systems. Uh, the antennas are different. The antenna placements are different. The use cases are different. Uh, and, and right now, in the current state, uh, it's certainly much more expensive. So the use cases really need to prove out the, the ROI. Uh, we are uh, the owners of, of the building with uh, the first millimeter wave DAS system installed in, by Verizon in, in the U.S. So I do have some experience with that, uh, but it is a very different uh, uh, technology um, from all of the others that, that we talked about. Um, so that ends my comments and we're up for Q&A. All right, thanks, Joe, that was great. Um, so, you know, when you decided to do Hudson Yard, how did you think about um, which technologies to deploy indoors, outdoors, et cetera? I mean, how did you go about just working through all these a few years back to uh, come up with the solutions? Uh, that, that's a great question. And it was, uh, it was definitely a challenge because no one really, there was no standards. Um, where we are today, and you think about Hudson Yards, we were making these decisions in 2015. 14. Um, there was a promise of 5G, but there was it was all over the map. We in in speaking with one of the carriers internally, they didn't have any standards yet at, at the time for, for their own equipment. So how do we how do we plan for that? We we um, we tried to future proof as much as we could by running fiber 
for uh, traditional DAS as the backbone, I'm trying to future proof that. And, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I, it was a little bit silly because of the way the infrastructure, the, the architecture, I was assuming the architecture of millimeter wave was going to be similar to mm. a traditional DAS, and it's not. Okay. So what would you, if you knew what you knew today, what would you do differently? Uh, well, I don't know that I would uh, entirely push uh, for for fiber. Um, we were trying to push for fiber to future-proof our, mm -hmm. our buildings as much as possible. It still may turn out to be uh, a, a, a good idea. But again, if I, again, it was also a different time in, in terms of the capital outlay and where, where the carriers were. If I was today building Hudson Yards over again, I would certainly rethink the the decisions of why I was going to use fiber versus traditional coax or other copper. Okay, and and the outside areas, what are you using for connectivity there? Are you just relying on uh, cell towers and things like that, or did you build out infrastructure outside as well? Uh, it's a great question. We we do have we have a campus at, at Hudson Yards and with with a pretty substantial, I think it's about four acre out outdoor uh, terrace and gardens, and uh, we do extend our our Wi-Fi to the outdoors. We have outdoor antennas, which we're all upgrading to to Wi-Fi six uh, currently. We also have the cell macro network, but we're we're going to also uh, be installing millimeter wave on on the outdoor DAS. We're installing an outdoor DAS system uh, this summer on the plaza as well. Okay, great. So. Uh... Got time for one last question. So anybody, uh, well, I'll ask this. So as you, you know, what advice do you give to folks who are trying to uh, wrestle with this in terms of, you know, their use cases, their uh, carrier options, their use of a single versus multiple networks in their buildings, those kinds of things? I, I think my advice, first of all, is if if you're building with tenants in mind, um, have the open conversation with the use cases for those tenants and try to understand how they plan to to actually use the, the networks that you might put in. Uh, I think it's I think it's important to meet the needs of your tenants, whether they're residential or uh, or they are uh, a commercial office tenants. So it's really building to, to the use cases. It's very difficult to try to predict what, what, those, what those use cases would, would be beyond today. Okay. Well, great, Joe. Thanks for your time. And uh, you know, we'll get back to you at the end with the additional Q&A. Uh, up next, we have Doug Kwiatkowski. Doug is a senior fellow in CTO, wireless technology for KLA Laboratories. Uh, Doug oversees KLA's engineering, project management, and implementation of wireless technology. Previously, he was with Verizon Wireless for 28 years, where he held a variety of positions, including principal RF engineer working on 5G network deployments. Uh, Doug, welcome. There it goes. Uh, good afternoon, Michael. Thanks for uh, the introduction, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. So again, Doug Kwiatkowski. I was with Verizon for uh, actually credited 30 years. I retired 
Uh, as Michael said, I've uh, held from management to operations to every position over 30 years. Um, so I've also worked in R&D. I've worked at the OEM. I've worked in the carrier space, the 3PO space. So I pretty much know the game uh, and how it's played from every aspect uh, it, throughout this whole industry. So my goal here is to not talk about technology differences and security protocols and what's better, what's not better. I'm here to talk about what's the most important thing that I think you guys all have to think about is how do I fund my technology? How do I fund when the carrier, as uh, Joe has indicated, the carriers are no longer funding just blatant uh, build-outs for uh, buildings. They are selective, strategic, uh, and the carriers are also have now adopted what's called BOP. And for some of you that don't know what that is, uh, it's also called the fourth utility. So what the carriers feel is that the inside coverage of every building is no longer their responsibility, but they feel that they are a utility company. They deliver the wireless service to the door, and just like your electricity, you're responsible for the distribution of that signal throughout your building. That is pretty much an industry across the board. Every carrier is feeling this way because the price wars that the carriers suffered through led to a lack of extra capital that would go towards an enterprise class A account. Uh, the BOP, the bring your own device environment where uh, companies are now just allowing companies uh, to use their the employees' phones, use their phone, they get a stipend back. So there's, as Joe said, the, the, the time and the sands are changing in the industry. So. I want to talk about funding today. So, oh. there it goes. Um, so, just to talk a little bit about KLA. So, to be in to be in this type of business, you really have to be in all disciplines of the industry: Wi-Fi, CBRS, DAS, public safety, IT, IoT, network cabling, cloud. All these, all these elements come together uh, that a good, a good integrator is going to bring to you so that you have options, so that you can talk about Wi-Fi 6 versus CBRS versus a carrier-led neutral host DAS versus a 3PO versus a revenue share model, a capital model. So there's, there's all kinds of things. And a company that has all of this expertise or subject matter experts in their portfolio are going to be the ones that you want to talk to. Um, so the establishment in the industry for uh, being a CBRS operator, you have to have core competencies, route, switch, WAN, SD-WAN, SD-LAN. You have to be uh, knowledgeable, uh, as previously indicated, in pretty much all RF technologies, whether it's public safety, because a lot of these can be layered. Some of them can't be layered. Some of you guys are building new buildings, and you have to be IFC 1201 and 1202 compliant, and you don't know where to start. So there are a lot of companies out there that can help you with that. So um, 
and you have to apologize, my screen is really slow. So who is a private network operator? Who is a private LTE operator? So a private operator is somebody that has these types of qualifications, right? First of all, they have to be CPI certified, meaning that the Ongo Alliance, they have to be approved to be a SaaS provider. So that means the technician that or engineer that's on site working these systems has to be certified from Ongo to operate, maintain, control, uh, repair these systems. They cannot be repaired by anybody else other than somebody that is CPI certified. That is part of the CBRS uh, licensing that's required. We can talk more about some of these in the Q&A, but so you still have to figure out if you went CBRS or Wi-Fi, how are you going to fund this? Will the carriers will help? Can you monetize this? Can you revenue stream this? How, what do we do? So one of the things that we did was we looked for opportunities for building owners to use their current asset structure to fund a, an existing technology platform and then continue to technology fund these platforms so that obsolescence will not be a problem so that you're not looking at a three to five year cycle of of uh, upgrades and where do you get that money at that period of time because wi-fi 7 is out wi-fi 8 is out Wh whatever technology is out in three to five years from now we need to be pre uh, be prepared so as joe indicated earlier probably one of the smartest things you can do as a company is to basically drive fiber out to the edge because the the laws of physics prevail here, right? E equals MC squared. The C is the speed of light. Speed of light doesn't change. It's a constant in our universe. And laser over glass is a constant as well. Depending on the frequency, we can all argue engineering uh, all day long, but it's still the same thing. And that is really the limit of, of, of how we compress data and send it out to the edge. So in this particular model, what we do is we're looking to take the asset of a company, which would be their digital media rights or their digital media agency, and then take and use those assets as a monetization or capitalization event that will fund your build out and then also start to create revenue. Now, where does the revenue come from? Well, Today, revenue is coming in from whether a carrier decides if they're going to pay you revenue uh, to be in your building. In most cases, the industry today, the carriers have decided that they will, if they decide to build a DAS in your building, they're not going to pay you any money because they're doing you a favor by spending whatever X capital is required to put in the building and put the DAS in the building or whatever system's gonna be in the building. So they have a capital outlay, they look at the revenue source versus the capital outlay and they come up with their margin and they decide whether or not they wanna do it. This, this goes on every day. I've built 30,000 in-building systems in my lifetime, uh, over 3,000 cell sites and over 6,000 small cells. So. Um, the in-building uh, mantra is changing. You guys are going to be responsible. So how do you fund these? And as Joe said, you're going to have to go to your uh, equity investors and look for money. And it's going to be a tough, 
discussion. So the chances of that happening may or may not be uh, a conversation you want to have. So what we look at is the opportunity, right? In this particular case, I'm talking about PLTE, right? Private LTE, which is CBRS. Um, and, and I will say, so the ONGO Alliance, just, just so you know, um, is very important. Uh, I've been a member since 2018, 19. Uh, I've been working on CBRS as a collaborator with the Office of Engineering and Technology uh, for when I was at Verizon and discussing how the auction was going to be for CBRS and the GAA and uh, all of that input. So I've, I've been around this whole CBRS for about five or six years now. So um, now the opportunity is, is where do we go with this? It's now an option. Uh, you have an option, CBRS, Wi-Fi 6, what do I pick? How do I pick it? Well, we can talk about that, you know, when the time comes, but you still have to figure out how to fund this. The opportunities in your office building, your parking structures, and all these areas are all assets that you typically didn't think about. And, and, I, and I know I'm coming up on time here. So what do we do? So what we do is we look for the digital marketing rights or agency rights for your venue, whether it's class A, mall, uh, adjunct building, strip mall, whatever it is. So what we do is sell, we sell iViews, right? So no different than uh, uh, the internet, right? Google, Twitter, Facebook, they measure iViews. How many people have put their eyes on that website for an advertising opportunity. So we are taking the same opportunity and we're looking for the revenue drive of digital marketing and taking that revenue and that capital and funding your project and then the revenue stream would then be a additional revenue source that you could use for building maintenance, uh, additional funding for technology upgrades, BMS, etc. So uh, I know Michael just come on, so let me get to my last slide. So this is an example of what we do. Here on the left, you'll see uh, a bedrock building in Detroit that has a typical uh, standard billboard on it. And that billboard is fixed and it doesn't change. And you'll see there's a standard uh, pool uh, poster on the on the street light. What we propose is putting in video and these types of systems out there, which will drive revenue, which will then be your funding source for providing your technology upgrades. And the, la oh, the last slide here is who's doing CBRS? Is it, it where's the where's the progress in the industry? So this is a snapshot today right now of everybody that is doing private LTE CBRS today. These are all companies that I've personally worked with or have been collaborative on uh, from different aspects. And so this is taking off in this industry, whether you like it or not, is going to be a significant uh, disruptor or discussion in your future. So 
uh, any questions? Uh, Thanks, I, I think we're uh, ready for our Q&A. Um, so, you know, what advice would you have for folks as, you know, beyond what you've shown about thinking how they monetize their properties um, generally with cellular and CBRS and, you know, all these different things. I know you talked some about the sort of digital marketing and signage opportunities. What else do you see out there today? Yeah, it's a great, great, great question, Michael. So there is different funding models, right? So outside of a revenue share model or uh, some type of uh, revenue opportunity, if it's a if it's a fully funded model that you need money, there are plenty of VC and sources out there that we've collectively put into a box, and those companies are ready, willing, and able to fund these projects at VC funding rates. So if there's an opportunity to borrow money at a structured uh, at a structured agreement now's the time to do it because there's plenty of money out there and and companies know that this industry is growing and that uh the carriers have informed the vc industry that they will no longer be funding these which led to them preparing and prepping for this opportunity that's approaching us today all right well great doug and thank you uh well we've got some questions from the from the audience that we'll get to at the end but for now, I'd just like to uh, introduce uh, our sponsor, Corning, who has a video for us. Thank you. All right, up next is uh, John Doolin from uh, Corning. Sorry. Uh, John is a 30-year global telecom and enterprise executive. He's the head of uh, marketing development for Corning. Uh, he's focused on introducing fiber optic and wireless innovations to the commercial and real estate market. John? Well, thank you very much, Michael, and good afternoon, good morning, and again, thank you to the Realcom group for allowing me to be a part of this really important topic in this panel. I really appreciate it. I'm going to spend just a few minutes giving you a, a you know, a corny view of what we're seeing in not just the 5G, but CBRS, what where's Wi-Fi fit? And you know, I can summarize it by saying we are seeing a seismic shift. And what that seismic shift is and has been is the promise of what 5G is going to deliver to all of us. The fact that the carriers have spent in the US about 80 billion on just their C-band licenses, they are accelerating their build out of their 5G networks. And that acceleration is bringing the 5G closer and closer to the building. We'll get to the implication of that. Um, we, in my discussions with 
building owners and developers, I always like to bring up that we believe that cellular in building and what in wireless in building for you know including Wi-Fi is really a strategic asset. And Joe, I recognize the challenge you guys have to get your <clears throat> finances group to build a budget for putting in the strategic asset. But we recommend if you can get it planned for early, treat it like the important thing like electricity and plumbing. It's the same thing in our mind and put that fiber infrastructure on. Joe, I'll get to the what we've learned since uh, the original Hudson Yards builds. We have all learned a lot, but plan for it, budget for it if you can. And remember, there's other budgeting mechanisms if you can't get it into your pro forma early on. Uh, Michael, you hit on something really important. 5G comes in low, mid, and high, high power, right? And we know the higher the frequency, the harder it is to penetrate buildings. We're continuing as well to see building technologies, be it glass, the materials that are you're now using and it's coming is really not good for outdoor signals to get inside of buildings. And it's going to create a real challenge. There's a, another challenge coming our way, and that is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, carriers are spending a lot of money. Tens, they bought, they spent tens of billions on licenses. They're spending tens of billions to deploy their networks, mainly to serve their macro. Millimeter wave is important. Outdoor coverage, their use cases for autonomous cars, <clears throat> and they like are driving the macro build out. Um, it also is, is quite frankly, they're utilizing most of their budget money for this build. And unless you own and operate an airport or a convention center or a football stadium, the likelihood of getting a carrier funded in building cellular system is pretty low. And they've been really clear about that. And it's been going on four or five years now. So we've got to deal with that reality today. So with the funding, as I just mentioned, drying up, there's a couple ways to do it. And what Corning recommends is you don't do the thing on the left. You can't wait and hope. We've got to get aggressive on this. We, I think we all agree having a robust network, and we believe it's a fiber-rich network and with power to the edge devices, being ready for 5G and also being able to architect it for millimeter wave as well for those spots in a particular building where millimeter is going to be needed. Have that fiber also hooking up your Wi-Fi 6 is another great and important planning session. And, and quite frankly, we believe that if you do it early, you take the lessons we've all learned since 15. We've learned a lot especially during COVID times, I think we're in a much better place to adequately prepare and plan and future-proof our buildings for the promise of 5G and other technologies to come. So that's all I got for now. Thank you. All right. Thank you, John. Really appreciate that. Very interesting.
So, you know, fiber is a technology that's been along in very, been around in various forms in a long time. Is there anything, any breakthroughs you see on the horizon or anything that would cause us to think differently about fiber as like a 20 year investment as part of a building? That's good. Well, I, I can tell the audience that we're on, we invented single mode fiber 50 years ago. Uh, that's an invention of low-loss single-mode fiber, Corning's, a Corning invention. It took us 47 years. Uh-oh, sorry about that. Oh, your time's up. Yeah, that's my timer. It, it took us 47 years to ship a billion kilometers of fiber. In the last four years, we shipped a half a billion kilometers of fiber. And you know what's driving it? The fiber is going into the true last mile, which is inside of buildings and out to the edge. And because we're doing that, and I, I bring up that statistic because it allows and affords Corning to continue a robust R&D. And we're con constantly developing and rolling out new kinds of fiber. Who would have thought you could buy fiber that you could wrap around your pen? And the signal doesn't get it uh, disturbed at all. Yeah. It's a corning innovation. So long. The short answer is lots of innovation. Uh, we believe that you, you, if you design it right and you have the, uh, the right quantity of fiber strands in your building, it's going to last the lifetime of the building. Okay. You know, you you mentioned uh, C-band. I know we'll probably talk about this more in the final Q and A, but why so much demand for a mid-range mid speed um, frequency, do you think? Well, you know, I think, and I know that that's a good question for the whole team. I'll give you my short answer is, I believe it's coming from, it, it provides the bandwidth and the speed, and it's in a kind of a really good spot. Uh, and it, can be priced out in a in a way that it can be deployed in a broader deployment. I think that's okay. overall general answer right, to that. We'll, one. we'll touch on that again maybe at the end. Um, and then uh, you know one sort of off the wall question, then we'll move on. Um, where do you, what do you think the uh, advent of low Earth orbit satellite constellation with their ability to beam high speed network you know, directly from space to a source, what impact will that have on the fiber market overall? Do you think, if any? Well, we often said when uh, wireless and Wi-Fi and, and all these new technologies, including millimeter and satellite technologies, and it's had the, it, it's kind of weird. It's had the opposite impact. It's actually increased our business in fiber. We've often said the issue with wireless is actually the wires, um, meaning the higher the frequency, the more throughput, um, the optical fiber is such an important, and, you know, from a bandwidth and latency and all that perspective. So once all those signals get on the ground, most of them are being transported point A to point B over a strand of glass. Yeah. Okay, I, I, there's probably another half dozen technologies that we can uh, point to 
that had that same sort of thing. We thought they were going to go away, and all they did was buy more and more of it, right? Yeah. Sorry, hey, Michael, Mike, can did I? Did you want to say something? Can I add a Leo comment for the folks? I'm sure. Just it's brief. So, um, so the Starlink satellite system that is up and functioning in a beta process right now is exactly that. It's in beta test. Currently, the users that are using the system, I think there's people still trying to get equipment and it's still limited use trial. So the end result is that they're getting pretty decent user download speeds. But the problem is, is not the download. And the problem in, in every wireless network is never the download. The problem is the uplink. So you have this really small device that puts out no more than 23 dBm or about 250 milliwatts or a quarter of a watt. And this device has to try to talk to a satellite at 312 to 350 miles up in the sky. This just doesn't have enough power. But the satellite has enough power to get to you. So Starlink provides pretty good downlink to rural communities, but if you have to upload a PDF that's nine meg, you might as well click the button like a dial up and wait till tomorrow morning. Okay, thanks Doug for that yep. clarification. All right, um, so, and thank you, John, for your time. Appreciate uh, it. Up next, we have a video from our other sponsor, uh, Spot On Networks. And uh, thank you. All right, thank you. Um, up next, we have uh, Dick Sherwin. Uh, one second. Uh, Dick is the CEO of Spot On Networks. He's been involved in wireless communications and radio frequency transmission for the past 30 years. Together with uh, several te telecommunications veterans, he founded and funded Spot On Networks, a provider of wireless telecommunications for the multifamily residential and multi-tenant commercial building industry. Good afternoon, Dick. Michael, thank you. Good afternoon. Good morning to everybody. Good afternoon, wherever you are. Um, thanks again to Realcom uh, for providing such a, an informative uh, series on wireless. And uh, I think it's really been beneficial to some of our clients. Just as a, a recap, we offer three different in-building wireless connectivity services. We offer a truly managed Wi-Fi service, which is always on, and the service provides continuous coverage throughout the entire building or complex. We offer a hybrid distributed antenna system to augment cellular telephone services, and we offer a radio boost service, which provides mandated enhancement for public safety radio communication systems within a building. We work closely with the authorities having jurisdiction to assure proper system implementation, 
and approved coverage. I want to either we're going very slow. Ah, there we go. Sorry. Um, with buildings being built to achieve LEED certification and with ESG factors taken into account, reliable cell phone service may be difficult to achieve within the building because of the materials used. Yet, that kind of service has been ranked as a very important community function. As you can see by the chart, it was ranked number one as a community amenity. Not only is voice service critical in times of emergency, but residents, tenants, and even staff have become more dependent upon the ability to text, to email, and to communicate via the cell phone and other IP-connected devices. A truly managed Wi-Fi service offers continuous, seamless, building-wide connectivity so that cell phone calls will not drop, and users can utilize any of their Wi-Fi enabled devices anywhere in the building. Business models are available to fund such systems within a building. Building-wide cell phone coverage and data connectivity have become effectively the fourth utility. I'd like to expand upon some of the points, uh, the good points that Joe Rich made earlier today. Wi-Fi 6, the newest version of Wi-Fi, uses very similar protocol to 5G cellular. As a result, it is secure, fast, has high capacity, and has limited, if any, interference. Wi-Fi 6 has been called the indoor 5G because of its capabilities and its similarity to 5G protocol. Because it originates inside the building, penetration of exterior walls is a non-issue. Unlike 5G, Wi-Fi 6 on existing frequency bands is backward compatible so that previously issued devices are supported. With Wi-Fi calling on Wi-Fi 5 and 6, all smartphones later than version 5 are supported for all major carriers. Additionally, there is now complete roaming to and from cell networks, utilizing a feature called multipath TCP, which sets up parallel communications paths on cellular networks and Wi-Fi networks at the exact same time. The FCC has allocated an additional one gigahertz in the six gigahertz band for Wi-Fi 6, on top of the 500 megahertz already allocated in the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz bands. These are all mid-range bands. That means in each building, there is more than one and a half gigahertz available for Wi-Fi, more than the typical cellular capacity for an entire city by a carrier in the low and mid-band ranges. The upper bands deployed by the cell carrier have capacity, but as previous speakers have pointed out, there's no range and no penetration ability into buildings. The cost to implement a truly managed Wi-Fi solution is substantially less than either a DAS approach or a CBRS implementation. 
More importantly, a Wi-Fi implementation will tend to support more devices for a variety of use cases, such as video streaming, IoT device support, and normal data access to the internet, as well as voice and text calling. The interesting stat that came out from a study done in conjunction with the National Multi-Housing Council is the premium that people will pay for certain services. What you see on the chart is the premium that renters say they will pay for reliable voice service in a building. CBRS has extremely low latency, which makes it extremely useful in environments where immediate control and action is important. That includes such uh, use cases as a shop floor or a manufacturing facility where immediate feedback and action is critical. Because these kinds of use cases do not utilize tremendous amounts of data, the frequency limitation of CBRS does not play an important factor in these use cases. You can see on the chart the, avail the available frequency bands for CBRS with uh, uh, general authorized access being basically the equivalent of unlicensed spectrum is about 150 megahertz all in. That includes the licensed and unlicensed portions. The importance of available frequency cannot be overemphasized in a high data environment. The more spectrum available, the wider the communication channels, the greater the speed, and the greater the capacity. We've put together this next chart. And what we've done is we've taken uh, various parameters that appear to be important to our clients and laid them out to provide a comparison of Wi Fi 6 versus. 5G distributed antenna systems versus CBRS. And we summarize the various in-building service offerings using these parameters. Our observation is that speeds are equivalent, Wi-Fi 6, 5G, CBRS. But because Wi-Fi has been allocated a large amount of spectrum and because it is a lower power transmission medium, all of that capacity is available inside a given building without interfering with other buildings. 5G and CBRS offer extremely low latency for better feedback loops and more immediate corrective action. Wi-Fi offers greater data speeds and greater device capacity. I think that, that the, the summary sheet that you see here is what you would need to look at in order to compare what wireless connectivity you need inside a building. Uh, Michael, that completes the presentation. Sorry, I was uh, so fascinated by what you were saying. I kind of got caught up in it. Sorry about that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad. No, it was very interesting. Um, so, quick question. So, you talk about Wi-Fi six and CBRS. Now, I've seen people saying things like, "Hey, CBRS in five or six years will be completely supplanted by Wi-Fi six. What do you think of that? No, I don't agree. I believe that 
that every single one of the services that we've talked about today has a place within a building. Uh, we focus on multi-tenant buildings, both commercial and residential. And we see CBRS, because of its low latency, having a special place inside buildings that need such kind of service. For, for multifamily residential buildings and multi-tenant commercial buildings that have high data usage, high data needs, Wi-Fi 6 might be a better alternative. But for buildings that operate with uh, building management systems that rely on outside air, inside air, humidity, temperature, and so forth. CBRS definitely has a place. Okay. Um, let's see. Can you talk just for a second about uh, enhanced security in Wi-Fi 6 versus, say, Wi-Fi 5? Sure. Joe Rich mentioned that earlier. Um, there are two versions of WPA3 that are included in Wi-Fi 6, and they provide uh, an additional level of security. Uh, I should point out, and maybe this is just an advertisement for spot-on networks, but we have a five-layer security system so that every user device is precluded from communicating with other devices on the network without going out through the internet. And in addition, with the WPA3 and the executive WPA3 security protocols, you now have Wi-Fi that is as secure as 5G. Great. Um, so what, where do you think, uh, so you, know, you mentioned DAS, and I looked at your best case use case being large outdoor <laughs> arenas and things like that. Why is that better than just relying on cell towers or things if you're out of doors? Um, as the cell carriers begin to use mid-band and, and high-band, and I think, um, I think Joe had alluded to this uh, earlier, the penetration inside the building becomes less and less, especially if it's LEED certified. LEED certified buildings deploy windows, low E windows, um, low emissivity windows, uh, generally with argon in between the two layers of glass. And that, that reflects radio frequency. So the outside systems are not going to easily penetrate inside the building. So a distributed antenna system, a hybrid one especially because of its cost effectiveness, can take signal from outside the building and bring it inside the building and provide adequate coverage and high quality voice and data com communications. The, the use of a distributed antenna system may be necessary um, for those buildings which have a lot of interactive interactivity with outsiders. For those buildings like multifamily residentials that have the constant same people in and out every day, it might be better to use utilize Wi-Fi 6. Okay. What about like rooftop cellular? Is that, I mean, pretty much now just going to be another cell tower or since you don't get the building penetration or is that going to grow, it's going to shrink? What do you think? Um, so I think that, 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 that goes in the same bucket, if you will, 
as fixed wireless access. So take a multi-tenant building. In a multi-tenant building, if you have a receiving antenna on the rooftop, or you have a fixed wireless access antenna at a window, and you bring in the signal via CAT6 or whatever uh, connectivity to a Wi-Fi enabled router, then you've performed the same capability as using a distributed antenna system or a Wi-Fi 6 system inside the building. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks, Dick. I think we're gonna open it up to the whole panel for uh, Q&A. Uh, we've gotten some good questions from the uh, audience. So why don't we uh, get everyone back online here and let's go through this. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the questions, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm gonna direct them to certain of you but you know we should all feel free to kind of chime in or raise a hand or whatever as we go through this. So I'm just going to start from the top. The first one we've got is actually fairly technical about the details of a cell phone. But uh, can anyone comment whether there might be signal interference from the iPhone's U1 chip, the Android's ultra wideband signals, not the 5G type? Um, John or uh, Dick or anyone want to take that one? Pretty detailed. What was the, where's the question again? I'm looking for it on the it's chat. The, it's at the top of the chat. Go to the top of the chat. Okay. Can add it too. So it's over my head, Michael. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was pretty. I, can't, I can't see it, but I think it was something about an iPhone and interference. Yeah, it's about whether there might be signal interference from iPhones U1 chip and Android's ultra wideband signals, not the 5G type. Sounds like they're asking about whether or not the signals from the two phones interfere with each other. Well, first of all, so let's. Um, let's understand how a product is made. So when a phone is made, that phone has to go through type acceptance of the FCC, Office of Engineering and Technology, for what's called the mission mask and, and uh, EMI RFI. So the device is tested by an independent laboratory to validate whether or not that thing interferes, you know, or it, it's doing what it's supposed to do. So all devices that go on the marketplace are thoroughly tested by OET and then uh, handset uh, teams at the carriers. So I have not heard of that particular issue. I personally own an iPhone 13 and an S22 Plus, uh, and they sit right next to each other and they work all the time. Okay, all right. Um, next question. So, why don't we try, Dick, why don't, we, why don't you try to take this one? Uh, what considerations should we have when planning for these communication solutions as it relates to prepping or for or future proofing for the coming wave of modernized tenant access control systems? Wow. Want to take a shot at that, Dick, or? Sure. Um what what we have recommended is and i think uh joe you mentioned this earlier 
we recommend putting in CAT 6A in as many places as possible based upon the low voltage design of a building. And and in the in the case of access control, tenant access control, um, what we've seen on the marketplace today is Wi-Fi enabled tenant access control. And we also see Bluetooth low energy tenant access control. Um, we we recommend that that our developer clients look at these controlled access systems and we will put in um, Wi-Fi services in the areas they need them in order so that they can control these controlled access devices. Okay. And of course, I can't not, you know, I'm with Corning, so our recommendation, by the way, does include category cable, but it, our mission is to get fiber deeper into the into the zones on each floor and shorten the amount of uh, cat cable or coax that hangs off the end of to connect up to the edge devices. Um, it's just, you know, that's just been our vision that fiber is just finally doing its last mile and the last mile happens to be on the horizontal floors of buildings. But um, the, basic, the basic problem I think that we've seen is that many of these devices require PoE, power over Ethernet. And so, so what we did to address that, you're spot on. Um, we're having more and more and more devices out there, and uh, and I like your spot on. No, pl I'm plugging your company. That's awesome. Um, what we believe is, uh, so what we did is we to address that and make it affordable. We came up with a whole new powering solution. Then we made these composite cables that have fiber optic, the glass strands and the copper pairs that allow us to extend power out to 2,000 feet. We've never had a distance limitation with fiber that can go 20 miles, but it's always been a power issue to get PoE, PoE plus, PoE plus plus. So we handled it by our composite designing and building these composite cables called Actify, as well as our, our intelligent powering solution that we just rolled out to the market in the past year. That allows you to get lots of watts out to the edge. Hey, John, if I could uh, add on too. So as everybody may or may not know about the Michigan train station project in Detroit with the uh, public-private partnership between the state and the city, the county, and Ford Motor Company. And um, in that particular instance, that building is... Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, well over 100 years old, 120 years, 50, it's old. <laughs> it's really old. Uh, with that, this is at a time when there was no electricity, there was gas lighting, uh, you know, there was nothing in this particular facility. So what's left is a shell of a beautiful building that needs modern amenities. KLA was asked to step in and figure out how to modernize without taking up any space within the facility and or ruining any of the architecture of the original design of the building. What we did is we designed a corning system and we put, ID, we put what we call an IDF2 up in the ceiling. So basically we have ceiling mounted uh, climate control boxes that can support with digital electricity, volt server or 
you know, whoever your private label you like. But we use Volt Server, which will deliver 2,000 watts out to the edge, and then that will drive BMS, badging, security, cameras, an edge switch, an edge cloud. It will also then allow you to start putting in prepackaged uh, Ethernet cables that you don't have to do field terminations, which saves a significant amount of money. You start opening a box and ripping open Ethernets, and they just install them, and they run them, and that's it. There's no terminations needed. So there's a significant cost savings of converging your networks, especially when you have a new install or a rehab that you're bringing to market. So then you can combine your BMS, your access entry, your uh, every single system into that. Now, whether you want it wired or wireless at the very last 300 feet, 50 feet, 10 feet, it could be CBRS, it could be LoRaWAN, it could be Wi-Fi. It just depends on the requirement. And as Dick was saying earlier about Wi-Fi and security, so there, Wi-Fi is not secure for the gaming industry. Wi-Fi 6 is still not secure for the gaming industry. What is secure for, let's say, the gaming industry is a hardened hardware security that you only get with building an LTE network. In your phone, everybody has a SIM card in their phone. That SIM is physically married to that LTE network. So as Dick stated earlier, they uh, whitelist only in Wi-Fi, WPA, and then you get access. But some of these access control methods are still over protocol. They're not physically hard, hardened pieces of hardware that are married to each other. So for those of you that are in retail or uh, hospitality or healthcare, where you have HIPAA compliancy, PCI compliancy for all the retail and POS, you have to be very stringent about the, what you do and how you do it going forward so that you meet the regulatory requirements of your industry. And two, you're providing a obsolescence-free system for as long as you can with, with, with your investment. Wi-Fi 6 will be replaced by Wi-Fi whatever in whatever time frame. The IEEE will be moving on to another protocol. I am also a member of IEEE. 3G PPP, 5G PPP, and RCA of America. So what I will tell you in collaborating with these folks that are who are very smart folks, there's there's two camps. You have the LTE camp and the Wi-Fi camp, and they're not friends. They're competitors. And some would say, well, do you pick one or the other? Well, in some cases, you might pick both. Some you'll yeah. pick one, you'll pick the other. So your decision to fund the project that you're going to do just depends on the needs of your tenants, the needs of your building, and the needs of the future proofing and the willingness you want to put in in capital and how oh, much combining you want to do. Good, Good information. Thanks. Um, the next one, I think, Joe, I'm going to see if you want to start and uh, we'll go from there. So regarding monetization of a DAS. Are you paid by the mobile network operators using it to reach subscribers? Now, I think it's it's kind of like the old, you know, I think the question is, is the old model of the DAS still there where you rent the space, they pay you uh, some percentage rent or something like that for using the DAS and using the fiber. 
and it's really a revenue stream for the landlord, or has that model changed? I think it is changing uh, right now. I think we are seeing in certain instances, certain types of assets where the, the carriers are willing to pay uh, some, some form of rent over a shorter period of time, I would say. Uh, and some are just a hard no at, at this point. But I think the writing is on the wall that uh, underwriting your project, your, your DAS project for uh, carrier revenue probably isn't a great idea uh, in, in going forward. Uh, that, that would be my, my two cents on that. Yeah, and coupled with the capital crunch among the uh, carriers themselves, maybe not even rely on them to build out the DAS except for select buildings and things. Yeah, they're kind of their favorite targets, high high uh, headcount, uh, large venues. Um, you know, they're, like I mentioned in my presentation, they're spending tens of billions of dollars building out the 5G network and uh, they got a limit to how much they can spend on their capital projects and as an industry, and especially with the building owners, developers, I mean, it is a, we're in a, uh, in a real transition period right now. And there's a lot of companies, not just the manufacturers of equipment, um, but financial modeling companies, no one likes to use the term 3PO, but you know, the next generation of what that looks like. And, and you know, because the needs, we know it's coming, and it comes down to uh, how do you how can we do this to make sure your tenants or residents are getting their cell phones work and they can get all the promises of 5G. And I know that what I just said sounds easy. It's not. We we get it. Um, and I'll make one last point. We are also very uh, aware of what it costs to put in a full-blown neutral host DAS system into a building. And we are, you know, fortunately, we we have the, the budget to be able to roll out next generation in building wireless products from millimeter wave to DASs and small cells and do it with the goal of making it affordable, easier to install, cheaper per, how much you pay per square foot to get coverage in your building. And we're working on, being able to deliver that to the marketplace, which is a real we we believe is going to help help you help your clients. So we're working on it. So right. to Joe's point earlier, I wanted to make a comment about how, and I'm going to give you a little secret: how the carriers decide whether or not they're going to give you money, and whether or not it you're they care or don't care. So in the case of your building, the more knowledge you have about your building and the tenants in it. So if you have a 25 story building and there's only five tenants in there, I would go and survey monkey them or just simply ask them, are they, um, are they uh, BYOD? Do they have carrier contracts? Are they it's just kind of free will? You know, what, how, how do they communicate? How do they communicate wirelessly? The collection of that data will then up, you'll be able to go and say, holy cow, I have, 
you know, 3,000 people in my building and 80% of them are AT&T customers. So who do you think you should be talking to whether or not you want to try to get some money from a carrier? You want to get, you want to start talking to AT&T, right? And see if you can get money because Verizon or T-Mobile who might be the minor carrier are going to be less apt. So if your new building has a lot of tenants in it and then all of a sudden Verizon's knocking on the door saying, hey, we want to put an in-building system in. Well, it's probably because you just overwhelmed their network, macro network or small cell network outside. So that door knock is because they just figured out that you put 5,000 people in a uh, building that you moved from a different location to this building and now their network just it blew up. Yep. So that, that's how you're going to get a call. Okay. Well, it's, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, you saw from the picture I showed of the uh, city of Detroit, I own buildings that go back to the 1870s, all different sizes, shapes, whatever. So really, you know, my take on this is that I'm going to have to come up with a strategy because the carriers aren't going to want to light up all my buildings. So how am I going to make sure that all of my tenants have equal access to the Internet of the future and all that kind of stuff? Anybody? Or say anything about that, maybe? Yeah, so um, I think we're at this precipitous, you know, we're deciding whether we go CBRS or Wi-Fi. So talking about monetization for a second. So today we can monetize Wi-Fi uh, by bringing in a 3PO who has an open roaming agreement or passpoint agreement with the carriers. So currently today, there's only just a handful of, and I hate using the term 3PO because it's an ugly word. So let's just say uh, a wireless, you know, independent MNO, whatever. So in the case of that, they can bring in Wi-Fi, whether it's your Wi-Fi or they bring in a Wi-Fi, and they can broadcast the carrier's national SSID, whether it's T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, broadcast out those mobiles that will want to connect to that carrier's national SSID over Wi-Fi will now then transport that call into Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T's network and they will pay you for it. Now, they won't pay you, they'll pay just a small handful of people in the industry who will then work with all of the industry in the real estate industry. Currently, there's only a handful doing that. All right. Um, a couple more questions. And that not all the carriers are on board with that. Yeah, yeah right. correct. There are there are certain some carriers will, some carriers will not. Both theoretically possible. The reality is that not, not all of them will in all regions. It's different. Yeah, right. Correct. It is it is region dependent and market dependent. Um, and it it really is. Uh, you're right. From being from Verizon and the carrier side, it, it is a struggle to fight for money from region to region, uh, especially if you're a Super Bowl city. You pretty much steal everybody's money when you when you get told that you're a Super Bowl city and you have less than two years to figure out how to build an entire new network over the top of a city. <laughs> we're, we're talking about we're talking about in building wireless. Yes. And and one of the things that we have found is that the building owner who controls his destiny in the building 
who controls the network in the building can charge his residents or tenants a fee for use of the network and Absolutely. essentially su supplant the the revenue going to the carrier and that's a very important point and we've done that now in a number of different instances and it's worked out extremely well yes and dick you are absolutely right we have done the same and that seems to be pretty popular um as far as revenue stream on private uh, lte over cbrs so today the popularity of that with the carriers is zero um the discussions right now are happening with the carriers to allow private lte to be more of an acceptable attachment into the carrier's network right and the reason that is and so today to do the handoff as as dick said with multipath tcp and how we do this transition of wi-fi to the carrier network and back i'm going to tell you just flat out right you guys could all attest or not attest to this but the failure rate's about 50 percent handoff connection it's kludgy, it doesn't work right. You have a wire, you have a Wi-Fi TCP network, and then you have the carrier's TCP network, and then there's delay, and you need to make sure they attach. All that goes away when LTE, private, L private LTE, your network, and the carrier's network, they're both LTE. There's no more kludginess. They talk together very nicely. So private LTE from a hand-in, hand-out perspective happens flawlessly okay. it does not happen in wi-fi flawlessly so i'd like to say it does but hopefully one day they'll fix that all right thanks quick time for a couple more questions um is there any millimeter wave frequency level 28 gigahertz or more based cbrs spectrum for private 5g as an alternative to wi-fi 6. dick do you want to try to take that one answers no, no. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know of anything like that. Okay, that was, that was the easy one. That was a yes or no question. Um, okay, Dick, how are you, how do you manage customer onboarding and an MDU for the tenant? That's, that's an interesting question. What we've done is we've come up with an approach in which we provide an easy way for the resident or the tenant to onboard the minute he gets in to an amenity area of the building. He opens up his laptop or he opens up his smartphone, he connects to the SSID and he goes through a series of three steps led by us and he's on, period. That's easy. Really simple. Okay, next question. All right, uh, low band is great for indoor coverage. T-Mobile has low band, AT&T and Verizon do not. Any questions, any comments? That sound like one for you again, Dick, or someone else? Uh, that would be me. So no, the carriers all, not all carriers have low band. So T-Mobile has 600 megahertz. Uh, they have roughly 40, 50 megahertz, 60, depending on the market. Right, so about 40 on average. Verizon has uh, the entire 700 C band license in 700. They're the only ones licensed in 700, except for first responders, right? For first net. Yeah. Yeah. 
which is right kind of in the middle of there. And then uh, you have 900 meg, which is aging ism band there's really no carriers in there so yes every carrier has some form of low band in a in a market depending on the acquisition and at the time of acquisition hey chuck are we done or do we have time for one more question if you can squeeze it in quick and i'll do a quick the last close. one i think is a good one um good discussion around in building 5g wi-fi etc any experience with LP WAN or other options which support battery operated devices and IoT more generally? I think, that that is, I think the answer I think the answer is first of all, Wi-Fi 6 has target wait time to increase the battery life of of IoT devices. But LP WAN um, uses narrow band technology and it uses very slow rate. And as a result, the devices supported by LP WAN and LoRa are are uh, uh, battery conser conservation type devices, and the network is battery conservation network. Yep. And the carriers are selling uh, narrow band IoT devices on their network uh, with with a they're guaranteeing a 10-year shelf life on the battery for the remote device sounds, sounds I mean, great Doug, Doug, hey Doug, yeah we gotta leave it at that we got all you guys. thank you. you guys did great thank you thank you michael and thank, thanks to all the panelists for your contributions as just a fantastic session and for our audience did i mention that you might want to take notes i'm just saying there was just a lot of good information there good news You'll get a link to this recording at the end so you can take all the notes you want so for our live audience and those watching this recording thank you for tuning in and be sure to check friday's broadcast of realcom live it comes on at 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern 6 p.m europe and in this episode jim young will interview richard newberry of kmc controls on how supply chain issues are impacting the smart building industry and you can register for the next webinar in our Smart Building Showcase series that's airing April 21st, focused on developing a smart real estate portfolio at scale. And finally, be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the Realcom IBCon conference in Orlando. That's June 15th and 16th. They do golf outings and pre-conference events earlier in the week. You can jump in on more of these kind of discussions. There's education sessions. Many of the people that you've heard here will be there, so you'll be able to ask follow-up questions. So that's it for us today. Uh, we could go on for hours, but of course, uh, our time is, uh, has ended. And uh, we'll wish everyone well, be safe, and thanks again for tuning in. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks, thanks. everybody. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, everybody.